Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. The book of John, chapter 12 and verse number 12 and 13. The scripture says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. This morning I want to just speak to you for a little while. I'll maybe give my text in just a few moments, but if I do that now it won't make too much sense. But uh, I want to just preach to you from this particular passage of scripture and this reference and I realize what this generally, the theme this generally surrounds, but I want to just take this in a little bit different direction and pray that the Lord will just speak something into our spirit here this morning. How about that? Amen. Lord, I love you today and I thank you for the privilege to know you. I'm very, very humbled, Lord, that you would allow me to be a part of the kingdom for such a time as this. This is a very incredible and unique hour. And so I pray that your anointing and blessing will be upon my life today and help us to speak the word without fear and favor. But I pray that there will be an anointing and a passion, God, that will help us address the issues that stare us in the eyes this morning. Strengthen us now by your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. And you may be seated. And to many people, this passage of scripture in particular addresses a specific place and time. And it is a commemoration of what many refer to as the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem just mere days before his crucifixion. It is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday or the Sunday before Easter. As Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, many ran and and cried out, Hosanna, as the scripture said just a moment ago, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna has several meanings, um, not the least of which save, I pray thee, or keep, or preserve, things of that nature. In biblical days, it was not uncustomary. As a matter of fact, it was the custom. In biblical days, in ancient Middle East, specifically to cover the path of someone uh, that they esteemed in high honor. And they would cover them often with branches or, or with leaves and things of that nature. Many times in a setting, perhaps a city setting, where there wouldn't be readily available branches or leaves if they were unavailable, people would either tear off pieces of their garment or perhaps place their entire outer garment in the path of those that they deemed honorable in order to sort of pave a path 
for them to walk on. And I, I don't think that's altogether informational uh, to you, but uh, that's, where, that's where we are in Scripture. If you will note that in all of the Gospels, each of the Gospel reports that people gave honor to Jesus as he made his entry into Jerusalem. And so there was a distinction, there was a distinct mark of honor that was given to him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all describe many people laying their garments and or cut branches on the street. However, when you get to John, as I've often said many times, John, John the Beloved, John wrote from a different point of view, not always including more information than the others necessarily, because John wrote really less about, recorded less miracles of Jesus than all of the others. But John has this unique perspective. And John is the only gospel that specifically says that the branches that were laid down were palm branches. And again, if we are to keep this within the framework of the culture of that day, palm branches were a symbol of a triumphant entry, not, not just the fact that someone has walked through the gate, but someone of honor, someone of renown. And so let's look at a couple of references concerning palm branches because if we'll go back a, a little bit, we may be able to see the significance of it then I also want to reach extremely forward and we'll again see mention of that. But if we go all the way back to the Feast of Tabernacles in the book of Leviticus, um, Leviticus 23 and 40, the Bible says, and ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And so if we are to fast forward now from the book of Leviticus all the way through to the last book of the Bible, we'll read the following passage in the book of Revelation. Revelation 7 and 9 says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people, and tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And so palms were always a sign of worship, a sign of adoration, a sign of respect, a sign of honor. Because of the palm branches and the crowd waving palms to greet Jesus, and because of them carpeting, if you please, the path of the Lord with these palm branches. This gives or a name to the origin of Palm Sunday. And, and I'm not trying to preach a message out of due season today. <laughs> Someone saying, you're several months late on this particular passage. I'm just trying to bring us to where we are because in a minute I'm gonna veer off the interstate here. But additionally, others refer to this event as the triumphal entry, and, and rightly so, because that is scriptural. The prophecy is, is often quoted from uh, having been fulfilled, or this triumphal in, uh, entry having been fulfilled in the Old Testament. The book of Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, Zechariah 9 and 9, says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and here it is, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, a colt, the fowl of an ass. And so here is the fulfillment now in John, in the gospels at least, the fulfillment of the prophetic words of Zechariah. I think prophecy is just incredible. I, 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 I feel like I know just enough to maybe scratch the paint off the surface and, and that for me it ends right about there. I hope you don't lose confidence in me for that, but that's just how I feel about it. But uh, the book of Zechariah, I, I'm just, I am just mesmerized by men who make utterances. It all makes sense to us because we have both books. It all makes sense to us and then there's a huge wow factor because something was said and something was fulfilled. But when you think about that Zechariah made an utterance that was penned and then chronicled away for history and Zechariah left this world unaware of the fulfillment of this prophecy. All, all he had was the unction of the Lord. And so that's why the writer of the New Testament says, blessed are ye, or blessed are we, I should say, because you have ears to hear and you have eyes to see because there are holy men of old that have not seen, they have not known. And so Isaiah made prophecies in Joel 2 and 20 and what, what, even the, just Joel 2 period that all of the things that Joel uttered that was gonna come to pass and then on the day of Pentecost Joel is already as the scripture says with his fathers in other words he's dead he doesn't know this but it was not only quoted but it was fulfilled that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel Isaiah said that the spirit of God would be ushered in with a stammering lip and then we find that fulfilled in the upper room of Acts chapter two. And so I just have, I just have such high regard for those that can, that can just give a word. I, I think that's incredible. And so we most often, uh, I realize that when we look at this passage, we see um, this, triumph, this triumphant entry against the backdrop of Calvary. And so if, if you know anything about scripture at all, you, you realize that, that just a few short days beyond all of this celebration, that there is gonna be a, a tremendous amount of trial and pain and there's gonna be a tremendous amount of denial and rejection. There's gonna, a lot of things are about to transpire in these next few days. As a matter of fact, there's already been a falling away. There, there's already been uh, people that are separating themselves from, from the Lord, even at this point. And um, you know, one thing that, is, that was true in biblical time, it is true in our day as well, that when you feed people, they will come. And so when, <laughs> and so be here next Sunday. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when you feed people, they will come. And that, that's all right. That's, there's a little method to our madness there. We know that. And so we have church and then we feed them. And so we feed them and then we feed them. But when Jesus was breaking fish and loaves and, and signs, miracles, and wonders, it wasn't hard to draw a crowd. But when things got tough and his sayings got hard, it just dwindled down to no one. And, and Jesus was not dissuaded by that. And I, I again, admire this. And I'm not trying to 
meander too far away from my subject, but he was so focused on his mission that he looked at the very anointed and the elect and said, will you go as well or will you leave also? And thank goodness for outspoken Simon that he could get it right from time to time. And he got it right. And he said to Lord, Lord, to whom else would we go? For thou hast the words to eternal life. I don't think he thought, you know, I'm pinned into this and I have no one to feed me and pay my rent and my light bill. That, that's not what he was talking about. But because of what we have beheld and the revelation in our heart, we have no place to go. You are the I am. You are the sum total of everything from Genesis to now. <laughs> Amen. So we have no place else to go. And so here, here we are standing against, as we watch this unfold, we realize that, that contrasted against the triumphant entry, contrasted against the cheers of men and women and the palms being laid down, contrasted against that, we understand Calvary. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with that, of course, because it certainly, Calvary has a place in, in, our, in our culture However, this morning, I want to look at this story from a different point of view. And I want to turn your attention to another writer's reference of this same passage of Scripture, and that is Luke. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41 through 44. Uh, the same identical scenarios. We're, we're right back in the same place in the story. This is just another man's perspective. This is another man's uh, insight. And so John gives us some real details that are important because he said it was not just branches, but it was palm branches. And that's significant to Leviticus and significant to Revelation. But Luke says, and when he was come near after the entrance, when he was come near, Jesus, the Bible's talking about here, he beheld the city and wept over it. That's just a different perspective here because many times we, in our minds, I at least, envision this as a time of great celebration and certainly it was. And to those who were students of the Old Testament and to were connected in any way to the prophets of old understood something very significant is not just honorable, but something very significant in prophecy is being fulfilled when Jesus comes riding in on the colt of an ass. There's something very significant about this. There had to be some, I'm sure, people in the crowd that were caught up in the moment. And some people were clapping, really not even sure what they were clapping about. But there had to be some standing in that crowd, Brother Polk, I'm convinced there were some standing in that crowd that understood the historical and the futuristic uh, uh, value of what's going on and they're going, wait a minute. I remember reading this. This is not just Jesus coming to town. But something is unfolding here. There is more than a man sitting on this animal. There's more than a man. But Luke gives us an insight, and, and it's from this, pardon me, that I wanna get back to and draw our attention, that when Jesus come in, the Bible says, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept 
over it. He wept over the city. Let's read just a few more verses. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belonged unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For all the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not thy time of visitation. The king of kings, the I am of Genesis has just walked into their midst and Jesus looked beyond all of the hand clapping and all the, all the, all the, the glamour and the glitter, so to speak, and saw the hearts of the people of this hour. And he said, you have no idea that the time of your visitation is now. Instead of walking away from me, if you really understood who I am, you would be coming to me. Amen. And so I, I will say this morning that if how much we could liken this passage of scripture and how much we could, how much we could liken this snapshot of that society to our world today. Please hear me when I say this in, in all love but with great, great fervor of spirit that if the world just knew what time it was, not only would you have not been able to find a place to sit in this building today, I dare say you could have parked on the grounds of this church today. Amen. If we just knew the time of thy visitation, if we could tell what God was really doing in this hour, and so I don't wanna get too distracted here this morning so as to, to, to not be clear in what I'm talking about. I, I, I am preaching to the church this morning that it's one thing for society to be disconnected to what the, is going on in the kingdom, but oh God, forgive us the church who profess to be filled with his spirit and being, being led of his spirit, that there's something going on in the kingdom world and God forgive us if we come into a corporate service such as this we are gathered today and on our minds more pressing is what time is all of this gonna get over. What time are we gonna be able to wrap all this up and let me move into whatever I've got planned the rest of the day instead of saying, Lord, amen, the time of our visitation is now. And if there was ever a time that we need to be sober and serious, if there was ever an hour that we need to walk in with our spiritual radar tuned in, hallelujah, hallelujah, hear me, hear me today. God, forgive us if we have turned this house into an entertainment hall where somebody has got to get up here and push and prime and, and prod, but let the saints of God, David said, enter in with praise and enter in with thanksgiving. And hear me when I tell you, 
David was not just talking about let's walk through the door clapping our hands. He wasn't saying let's just skip to the law as we make our way down the aisle. He, he wasn't saying let's just be jovial when we get to church. But David knew the power of praise and worship. And when we are praising and worshiping the king of kings, then we have availed ourselves to what his spirit would speak into our spirit in this hour. And so I would say that while some were clapping their hands because Jesus the healer, because Jesus the miracle man, because Jesus the man who could turn water to wine or could feed thousands with just a little sack lunch, they were clapping their hands because the miracle man was there. But in their heart, they missed the fact that this is far more than the miracle man. This is the Messiah. I hear, I'm here today to tell you that yes, the healer is in the house. And yes, God can lift up our downward spirits. And yes, God can change the climate of our day. But hear me this morning. God is not in this place to help Steve Boyd go home feeling better about me. There is a divine agenda on the table. And I say, Lord, help me not get so caught up in the praise and the work or the mechanics of praise and worship that I forget that the King of Kings is in this house. Amen. He is in this house. Hallelujah. And so I'm sure some were a little baffled that Jesus rides in and they've laid palm branches and and other riders said they've laid their garments in the street and they've they've done all of this and he rides in instead of waving to the crowd and and, and shaking hands and holding babies and winking and, and smiling the old political nods instead of doing all that he's sitting on this beast weeping weeping my subject today is what Jesus was doing He was weeping for the lost. Some people were having a party. (laughs) Some were in their chariots. Some were having a blast. And Jesus senses the lostness of man all around him. I want to focus on a very powerful scene captured in the 41st verse. It says he beheld the city. The word beheld there has a much stronger connotation than a glance. He beheld the city. Eyes wondering. Eyes to eyes. He beheld the city. He looked at beautiful Jerusalem in this breathtaking view. He couldn't help but to see the pomp and the pageantry of this festival of tabernacles. Because of this occasion, he witnessed the splendor and the awe of Jerusalem. Everything that Jerusalem had to offer was not hidden to him. However, Jesus saw beyond the exterior of what things looked like and what they sounded like. He saw beyond the facade of people in the city and he looked beyond the ceremony and the celebration. He saw past the outward appearances and saw the spiritual condition 
of the people that dwelt in that city. And then Luke records something that I think should stir every heart in this building. Luke says that what he saw, what he beheld, caused him to weep. He wept for many reasons. He wept because the people didn't understand the significance of what was happening on this day. I'm I'm not trying to be ridiculous here, but can you just imagine what would have happened if Zechariah had somehow been present that day? (laughs) I mean, there were people that were clapping their hands and Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But Zechariah, if somehow Zechariah could have just appeared for a moment in time, would have ran through the street screaming, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. (laughs) Amen, it's him. They didn't understand the significance. They didn't really understand who he was or, or, or why he was even there really at this particular moment. Something equally significant for us to understand should be found in the fact that it was not sinners and it was not the ungodly that were going to reject him single-handedly. It was going to be his own people that rejected him and it would be his own people that would crucify him. Amen. I've had just something burning in my spirit for probably months now. And I I just feel a conviction in my heart. And I, I want you to try to grasp not what I'm about to say, but the spirit perhaps in which I say it in as well. I feel convicted for, for perhaps in an, in an unbalanced manner just preaching Jesus Christ as the God of love and understanding and help and hope. A God of just constant forgiveness and mercy. I realize he is all of that. But I am repenting before God and before you today for not preaching often enough that he is also a God that can be grieved. A God that can be offended. A God that can be insulted by our actions. Is it possible that we're serving a God that could be angered? I say yes. I say yes. Amen. I have more than one biblical reference, but I I know that in Genesis the Lord repented that he even made man. We said, because the thought of man is on evil continually from the rising of the sun to the going down of the sun. Isn't that descriptive of the hour in which we live? We haven't changed a whole lot. When the money changers were in the temple, Jesus didn't walk in and clear his throat and with his best Dale Carnegie approach, ask them to please take down their tables and move this somewhere else. But I'll tell you, friend, when he got through, when he got through, there were flecks of blood on the wall and pieces of flesh on the ceiling. There was no uncertainty about what was going on in the mind of Jesus and what was happening in the temple tabernacle. I say, Lord, help us in this hour 
the church to realize that everything is not okay in our lives and God is not just going to wink at everything that comes along and he's not going to just sign the check because we wrote it and filled it out. He's not just going to sign everything and stamp his approval to that. I say, oh Lord, in this hour, help me to realize, yes, he's a God of mercy. Yes, he's a God of grace, but he is a God, amen, that deserves our all. He's a God that deserves my best. He's a God that deserves from the innermost of my being to say when I am in prayer, I'm not just here to get through a few moments. I'm in church. I'm not just here to try to mark off 90 or 120 minutes of my life, but I am here to give you all. I am here to surrender all. I am here, God, to put my ear to your breast, if you please. I wanna have the passion of John the beloved. Some were happy to just sit at the table. Some were happy to be in the same room, but John, Brother Rayleigh, John said, I want in your bosom. I wanna hear your heart when it beats. I wanna hear your lungs when it inhales. I wanna hear them when they exhale. Oh, Jesus, touch us today and give us some more tears. Give us some more tears. I'm glad for our praise. I'm glad for our worship. I'm glad for our programs. But oh God, give us some tears. Give us some tears. Give us some tears. I realize I run the risk. I realize I run the risk this morning of sounding crass. Amen. But I ask myself a couple of days ago, I ask myself and I ask God a question and because when that was born in my spirit, it's just been something I've been living with for many days and every morning in my, in my, in, in my formal time of prayer, if I could say it that way, I've tried to just ask this same question. I'm not asking God as though he doesn't know. Amen, I'm just asking a question and I'll present this question to you today. What ever happened to hell? What ever happened to hell? I may need to fall out here on this floor before God and you for not preaching on it enough. Maybe that's what happened to hell. Maybe, maybe I stopped preaching about it. Maybe I stopped declaring it. I'm not standing behind this desk today to try to shovel a bunch of junk into your life. I'm trying to, with a hoe and a rake, pull some responsibility into my own spirit. But I'm asking you to do the same. Whatever happened to hell? My intentions, of course, are not to be uncouth and rude, but there's something troubling going on in our world today. What happened to hell? When is the last time that you attended a funeral? I'm on thin ice here, but I, I hope I'm in safe company. But when's the last time you attended a funeral where the person laid out wasn't ushered straight into the front row of glory no matter how they lived? Unfold your arms, uncross your spirit, and settle your feathers down. It's the truth. 
I realize that I probably by default go to far more viewings and funerals than anybody in this house. But irrespective, I'm not being a judge, but I think I'm on safe ground. Irrespective of the fact that they have no fruit of the Spirit of God remotely growing in their life, I'm just asking you for a moment. I'm not suggesting at all, and you've probably attended enough funerals that I've conducted, so I'm not suggesting at all that somebody get up at a funeral and, and assume the responsibility of judge and jury but I hope you understand what I'm driving at. In the world that we live in, there just seems to be a huge absence of lost people. I'm grieved by this because I think we're sending a very serious signal to a generation following us. That Aunt Sally or Uncle Bob or whoever, and I hope you have no Aunt Sally's or Uncle Bob's, but... They, they just lived to the wind. And they died as they lived because it is really true. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. And yet, as a society, we gather around and we hear things like, well, they're at peace now. They're with their Savior now. And there's another generation going, well, hey, no more to it than this. I mean, we've, we've, we've washed away the value of heaven and we have certainly washed away the horror of hell. And I ask you, whatever happened to hell, if there is no danger of going to hell, I'm not, I'm not talking about using fear and tactics and ploys, but I'm talking about, amen, I, 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 and maybe I'm confessing, I, I don't know. Maybe this whole thing is more about me than you and if so, thank you for showing up. But I remember going home from church as a young man hearing hell preach so hot that you were just shocked you woke up the next day. Amen. I want to shake some of those men's hands. They've already gone on. They didn't scare me into living for God. Don't misunderstand what I'm telling you today. But not only did they preach the reality of streets of gold and gates of pearl, but hell was preached hot enough you could smell the smoke and you realize I don't want to do anything to go there. Amen, I want to live my life with everything that I can, not with fear, hear me, not with tactics, amen, not with manipulation, but I say whatever happened to hell. I'm gonna tell you this approach gives birth to multiple things, not the least of which two that I wrote this morning. We give birth to the fact that sinners no longer have a reason to weep over sin and the debauchery of their lives. Because if old Joe made it, (laughs) I'm in the passing lane. Amen. I, I remember a, you weren't there, so this scene will not mean anything to you, but I'm telling you, it, it's frozen in time and branded in my mind. I remember several years ago preaching a funeral, not anyone related to this church in any shape, form, or fashion. I was standing in the cemetery. They were doing a graveside service, and This was a person, again, from all outward appearances, God is the judge, but you get where I'm coming from. 
And I, I, I listened as someone went over the top. On and on and on. In my own personal opinion, I think half the family was uncomfortable. Amen. And, and Brother Corn, for a moment of time, I just looked up. And I caught this scene of a funeral director that was just standing back with his hands behind his back, taking all this in. And I, I suppose at that moment, that's when this question was truly born in my heart. But I wonder, I just wondered in my mind, when's the last time this man who does this for a living, he's far more exposed to it than me, has not seen someone just slid to the front row. You're all just staring at me. I wonder how disillusioned by now they must be. Jesus, Jesus rides in. He can hardly hear what's going on for the praises of people. Hosanna. Hosanna. People have laid down garments in the street. They've palm branches in the street. They're cheering him on. And his take was completely different. I wonder what God thinks about this service today. Amen. I say we give birth to the fact that sinners no longer have a need, a compulsion to weep over their own sin. But the second thing, equally if not more dangerous, is the fact that we also give birth to the fact that the church no longer has to do the same. No real heartfelt impulse to spend the night in prayer over the lostness of mankind. And I want to be very specific. I know it's really easy to get under conviction about our own lost family members and neighbors and friends and associates. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not excluding them, but that's not, the, that's not the, the little bunch, the centerpiece of this, what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the lostness of man. When is the last time that we stood, not you, we stood on a city sidewalk and wept over the lostness of the world in which we live. It is evident to me, wherever you turn, people are, are looking for an answer. They're looking for some hope of some sense. They're trying to find themselves. They're trying to identify themselves. They're trying to be a part of something. And so I ask us, I, I'm not trying to be rude, but what kind of message is being sent to a younger generation? Amen, if the church, if, 
if the church is no longer weeping between the pews and the, amen, if the ministry, if the, if the priests are no longer weeping between the porch and the altar, what are we teaching a generation that is following us? I remember, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not on some time machine trying to go back into yesteryear, but I'm gonna tell you, I remember, my mother wasn't perfect, and I'm, if you knew her, you know that, and so I'm not trying to say that, but I remember growing up in a household where, where, where my mother would attend ladies' prayer meetings. And friend, they, it wasn't a gossip session. They weren't having tea and crumpets and, and, and destroying and, and tearing down everything that was going on. It was women on their knees. I, I remember one, I almost think I could drive back to the building today if it were still there, but I, I can almost remember, uh, almost I re- vividly remember the inside of the building, a sawdust floor, and I can remember playing with the little shavings of sawdust while those women wailed before God, wailed before God. God, you say, well, that's just kind of strange. No, 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 no. Amen. If you think that's kind of strange, then you're you're validating my point. Amen. There needs to be weeping and wailing and utterings and moanings and groanings that when we've run to the end of our vocabulary, when we have exhausted everything we know to say, that there is an utterance that's going forth because men and women are lost. And hear me, we can't just sing them to glory. We gotta pray them to glory. We can't just sing them. I can't just preach them. Amen, I have got to somehow, amen, allow the power of God in prayer to anoint me. Amen, you know why? because it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. It is not my presentation. It is not my ability to be an orator. It is not my vocabulary. It is not the structure of my sentences. It is the anointing of God that will break the yoke. And where are you gonna get the anointing? You're gonna get the anointing in an altar of prayer with hot, salty tears running down our face saying, God, touch us and anoint us. We're not crying over lost jobs. We're not crying over missed opportunities. We're not crying over some ill in ourselves. We're crying because man is lost. Man is lost. Somebody in the crowd was probably saying, cheer up, Jesus, all this praise is for you. Why are you crying? Don't you see the palms? Don't you see the garments? We've done all this for you. But when he beheld them, not when he beheld it, not when he got a grasp on the party, but when he looked into the eyes, the eyes. I'm not here to promote prison ministry at all in this next segment. Obviously, we believe in it. But I remember the very first prison I ever walked in. I was a guest speaker. A man in the church was a major at the particular prison in the state of Louisiana and asked me if I'd like a tour. I had no clue what God was fixing to give birth to in my heart. I think it was a God moment, to be honest. I went out of curiosity. 
But the thing I could never shake when I walked away was the lostness in the eyes of those men. Now, I I realize that is kind of a highlighted moment because it is truly incarcerated people. And in the particular instance where this experience came over me was in solitary confinement. And so there was a lot of reasons, and Brother Rick would certainly know it's a lifetime spent in this, in this field. Standing at those cells, the lostness of man. Now get beyond prison, okay? Because that's really descriptive of our world. They're incarcerated by sin. And many of them are in solitary confinement of their own inability. And if you could pause at their cell long enough and get beyond the blue of their eyes, what you would see is lost. Lost. Those people, ladies and gentlemen, don't need a potluck dinner. Everybody all right? They don't need an attaboy. You can't say to somebody hungry, be full. To somebody naked, be clothed. But you gotta put some skin in the game. You gotta do something about it. And if we could get over us, and all we got going on. I'm gonna tell you half of what we are going through is a sinister plot of hell. Because the devil figured out a long time ago, you're not gonna live in sin. He figured out a long time ago, you quit talking that way, thinking that way and acting that way. So he's just got us so busy tending to our own fires until we fail to, until we fail to behold people. We rub shoulders and vacillate in and out of people's lives and never look at the lostness in their eyes. The lostness. Jesus. I wonder when the last time we prayed and our prayers weren't self-centered about us, me, 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 me. And we just begin to pray. God will begin to move in our spirit. Because he still, you know, we were talking about Zechariah a while ago. God still speaks. The question is, do we still listen? I hope I remember enough of this story. I had not planned to tell this or I would have gotten my details straight, but I just feel this in my heart. If I, 
if I have shared this publicly, I don't remember it and just give me a blessing, Jesus, if I have. But several years ago, Brother Pugh, Brother J.T. Pugh, had a vision. And in this vision, he saw a little Asian boy who was dressed in a private school outfit uniform. And the Lord spoke to him that he would be the next kingdom voice for Asia. Many times through Brother Pugh's life, this may sound bizarre to you, but if you know anything about Brother Pugh, he, he just, he was so kingdom minded. He would actually fly over there and stand on the street on multiple occasions and just stand and see if he couldn't spot. He was that convinced that God had given him a truth for our tomorrows. Now, you know, many people could write that off as just a nutcase. Where's Brother Pew? Well, he flew back over there looking for that boy again. And on his deathbed, this young man, through a series of events, and I'm sorry that the details are muddied my mind, through a series of events, they discovered a young man came to one of the churches in Asia, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, grew up, and God began to use him mightily. And one day, one of the missionaries there was visiting with him and saw a picture of him as a boy in that uniform. And they took that picture and made a collage of other little Asian boys about that same age. And they took it to Brother Pugh's deathbed. And they held it up and he started weeping and pointed. Said, there he is. And it was him. What are you saying? I'm talking about a man that pastored in Texas. But he prayed with a world view. Not just feel my church. Not just save my street and my neighborhood and our city. But prayed with a world view. I want our musicians to come. I feel like I'm losing you. I don't want to preach past the moment here. I'm talking about weeping for the lost. We have not buried the last Zechariah. And we have not buried the last JTP. I'm talking about weeping for the lost. Weeping for the lost. I believe the same God that wept over Jerusalem is sometimes grieved as he looks at our lives and if I can be more specific, even our lifestyles. He's grieved when he sees our spiritual condition concerning him and we reject and don't give him all. When we live for self rather than him or we're selfish rather than selfless, we live for the world rather than the kingdom. 
And I ask you this morning, is God pleased with what he sees in your life right now? Right now. Man looks on the outside. God looks inside. You, you can fool me. It's been done. But you can't fool God. He knows what's going on behind that little Pentecostal patty cake. He knows what's going on behind our raised hands. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're thinking right now. He knows the assessment of your opinion of what's been preached this morning. He looks beyond the veneer. He looks in. He beholds us. He cares so much. He cares so much. Amen. Let's stand. Can we stand? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You see, the Bible still states, I read it recently just to make sure, that the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. It shall surely die. And so to the party planners of this particular day, they had to be sorely disappointed that, that the man of the hour and the man of honor wasn't grinning and taking. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But he was weeping because he didn't hear the claps and he didn't see the palm branches and he didn't see the garments. He beheld them in their heart and he knew what decisions they would make in just a few days now I'm not standing here before you today with a message that holds no hope the great thing about the Lord is that he doesn't just look at where we are today and as a matter of fact he is concerned about where we are today but he's really concerned about what we can become what we can become Maybe we're betraying one thing. Maybe we're hiding some things from others and lifestyles and, and, and we can just kind of tuck all that away and then come here and be all right. You know what the Lord is reaching for today? He's reaching for change, change and a church that can weep over the loss. I wonder if we just pray. I'm not really even sure what to do right here, but we need to feel God out. Thank you, Lord. Wait on the spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. If there was ever an hour to have it in our spirit to say, come by here, Lord. Come by here. Someone's praying, Lord. Come by here. Someone's hurting, Lord. Come by here. Someone's needful, Lord. Come by here. Someone's repentant, Lord. Come by here. I say, God, let a powerful spirit of conviction touch the church. Because if the church has lost her conviction, sinners have no hope 
of finding conviction. So I say, Lord, start with us today and let the powerful sweeping hand of your divine conviction move across our souls where we cannot sin without making it right. We cannot continue to walk out of your path and will without somehow coming back into balance and saying, God, I've got to get this right. I've got to pour my heart and my soul before you today. It's prayer time. If there's ever been a prayer time, it's prayer time. God is doing something in our midst divine. God is purging. God is stirring. God is moving and digging around the root of our heart. He is is shaking our spirit, challenging our mind. He is beholding us as we really are, as we really are. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord God Almighty, in the name of the Lord God Almighty, in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Shatoromo salamahasi, irandaromori alalamahakatadalama. Oh, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, Lamb of God, come by here, Lord. Come by here, Lord. Come by here, let a brokenness touch our heart. God, let a brokenness pierce our spirit. Oh God, let a brokenness, let a brokenness come over us, Lord. Men and women are lost and they're undone. They are ignorant to your total truth. They're ignorant, God, to the full revelation of who you are. And so I say, God, help us the church, help us the church to get off, to get off of our own agenda and get back on your agenda. God, to quit making this all about us, making this all about us and making it about this world in which we live. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, oh God, oh God. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.